0: Brian, Jerry, would you come, brother, wherever you are? Brian, as many of you know, is a uh, member here. He's a dear friend. He's going to be preaching today as we continue in this series called The Story, where we're walking step-by-step step through the dominant narrative of the Bible. Brother, are you ready? I think so. Good. Bring it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice guess. Um... If I move this stuff, will somebody get mad at me? Okay, that's all I want to know. I just don't want people mad at me. Thanks for doing this for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Extremely helpful. Yeah. Oh, Bible book! I guess, I guess that it's a trick. What happened? Um, man, it's a joy. Uh, to be with you today, but I have a pretty cool privilege. Uh, Chuck gets to do this all the time, and he gave me the honor of handing out a book. So, don't raise your hands yet, you selfish people. My goodness. (laughs) So, if you haven't noticed, every week when you come in, there's a very interesting spot on our bulletin that talks about reading something. Uh, So, I encourage you to check that out. So, today's book on there that you're encouraged to read is, What is the Gospel?, uh, this is strategic, believe it or not. The staff here is very strategic. Uh, it usually will further develop whatever's been talking about or the series that we've been in, and this goes very well with our topic today. So, somebody who has not received a book yet, who would like this book? What is the gospel? All right, my friend. I saw your hand first. Congratulations. There you go. I thought the price was right. Congratulations. <laughs> what? Why you get a hand clap. That's amazing. Um Well, it is a joy to be here and I'm gonna try something new out. Gonna use the old iPad. I figured if uh if Tad can do it, anybody can do it, right? So <laughs> whoa. Whoa, whoa <laughs> This thing doesn't work. stand back here. Uh and a couple of things as far as some things to kind of clear up from last week. Uh Chuck mentioned that real men wear a pink cast. Real men don't wear a cast at all, Chuck. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and and I felt bad for you for a second because you're talking about how you got picked last all the time in sporting events. I think it's because you're too fragile. I I think that he's like, I've got the mic next week is what he told me earlier today, which I am very fearful of because he's much better at this than I am. Um. But I pick on them because I love them. I know that's weird. Why, why would you make fun of people you love? But that's kind of what I do. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't really know. But uh, I absolutely love and respect these guys. The staff you have here is phenomenal. So this is a great... Pre- yeah. That, that makes up for it. Yeah. <laughs> That, that sort of makes up for what I said, right? Um, you have a great, <laughs> you have a great staff here. So this is a privilege for me to be able to stand here in front of you, uh, to be allowed by them because I respect what they do here and how they teach and how they preach. So this is, this, this is a, this is a really fun, emotional, scary, uh, exciting time for me. So I don't take it lightly, and uh, I really appreciate these guys and what we've been doing over the last few weeks has been tremendous. I don't know if you've noticed that or you've caught it. But it is tremendous. It's such a helpful way to see the text linked together. Uh, we oftentimes see the Bible as all these separate books, but yet it's much bigger than that. It's telling us this grand, grand, and grand even seems weak, but yet this beautiful grand story uh, that is traced throughout all the scriptures. And so I get the distinct privilege to do one of the funnest parts, I think. Um, so before we dive in, let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll unpack this today, okay? God, I love you so much. Um, You know, when I come to this moment, my my head is spinning, uh, one with uh, doubt of who I am. (laughs) Uh, And maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's good. This is somewhat of a terrifying moment, but yet an exciting moment, a moment that we can come to your tents and we can ask what it is that you desire and want from us. So I pray. Oh, God, I pray that this morning you would radically change us. Father, that the story of the Bible is not isolated a long time ago, but it is indeed our story. And we can find our places there. And as we come to a beautiful climax of the story of you providing redemption for us. Lord, we are helpless, but yet you have interceded. And so we ask that faith and repentance would occur today. Lord, that you would come in such a way that the truths of this text would be so clear. And I'm so grateful because I'm not relying on a great, eloquent sermon. What I'm relying on this morning is the power of your text, the power of your truth. This is true. And that you will work through that this morning. And ultimately, Father, you would change hearts. So, Father, it is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard that God only helps those who help themselves? You ever heard that phrase before? In Tennessee, it may go something like this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That may be what they say there, you know. But God only helps those who help themselves. I'm not sure exactly what is meant by this, but there is a fundamental problem with this understanding. As we have been tracing the story of Scripture, I'm sure you've caught it. That it's much more drastic than that. That our situation, the situation that the Bible tells us about, Scripture tells us about, is deeper and cannot be overcome by just a mere effort that we muster up inside of us, right? I mean, let's review for just a moment, right? Well, week one, we looked at creation. What did we look at with creation? That God created us in His image. And also created the entire universe, and it was originally very good. Genesis chapter 1 is where we found that. And they should be on the slides there for you to follow along. Uh, There you go, perfect. Um, And then what did we look at? Well, the next week we followed up with what happened to that creation. Well, then the rebellion of the whole human race against God through the historic act of our first parents, Adam and Eve is what I mean by that. Their disobedience was a failed attempt. To become as God, Genesis chapter 3. We saw this slowly unfolding over the last few weeks, right? We were created by God, we rebelled. And that therefore set into motion catastrophic effects, right? And then last week we looked at God's promise. What is that? Well, God's promise is that Abraham's descendants will become a great nation. And that through that nation would come Jesus. This is key. Jesus who is saving some people from every people group on the planet, Genesis 12. See, mankind has and is always trying to right the world, and primarily their own life through efforts to no avail, right? But when we see the story of Scripture unfolded before our eyes the last few weeks, we understand there's hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a silver lining to our dark cloud. And the saying that God only helps those that help themselves, it begins to sound foolish, doesn't it? And it leaves us yet helpless again. But last week we heard of hope. Of a promise that would indeed looking forward to what we often call redemption. What is redemption? Well, God's act of releasing His people from sin. The very thing that the fall brought that we cannot break. God breaks it. And He brings them, us, to freedom. What's the scripture reference for that? Most of the Bible. (laughs) See, God has been redeeming His people since the beginning of time. There is story after story after story after story after story after story story in the Old Testament of God redeeming His people. And today, today there's great news because we're going to look at the great redemption. The redemption that all these other redemptions that are played out in the Old Testament have been pointing towards in His name is Jesus. The redemption, that all other redemptions have been pointing towards his name, Jesus. Hopefully, as we've been unpacking this meta-narrative, this big story of the Bible, you have seen Jesus as a scarlet thread that ties them all together. You know, and I'm particularly grateful for the climax of this big story, of this meta-narrative of scriptures, because you know what? Even us preacher boys need redemption. Matter of fact, we're so desperate for it that we will even take a moment like this, preaching, teaching about God, and somehow we try to use our performance to soothe the aches of helplessness that we feel. Oh, we are the worst, of sinner's hate to break it to you, but we are. But we do not have to rely on a sermon. We do not have to rely on performance. We have a great hope that from the beginning of time has been calling us and you to a better story. You see, the same goes for those of you waiting for the next big payout as your hope. Oh, if I could just get this or that. I would be happy. Sound familiar? You see, it also applies to those who sit in isolation because of the past. Thinking that there is no hope. You've let the past be your creation story. And you miss the true beginnings of all humanity. It is also for those who think that mistake you made has ruined you forever. You feel that you are not redeemable. And all the promises that you've to, to feel significance, to feel meaning, to overcome the mistake, they cause more hope, more, no, that's the other way around, more hurt, and more hopelessness. And they left you wanting. Or maybe you sit here this morning puffed up with knowledge thinking, There's no truth to really be known, and therefore, hope is not even possible. Well, the story of the Bible is compelling. And it's different because it's our story. At each major scene, we find ourselves. We learn just a little bit more about who we are and understand that we are not alone in our struggle to find significance, hope, healing. Meaning, purpose. The story of the Bible actually works. Its answer provides the way to wholeness by bringing us back to our Creator and surprisingly, through His own work, through His sacrifice. Well, what is that story? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. In the seats in front of you is a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take it. If you want to, take two. I don't care. But in that Bible, it's page 674, I believe. If that's not correct, you can yell out and correct me. I'm fine with that. But Ephesians chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let's just look at a little background, just a few facts that may help us kind of grapple with what we're about to read. Well, it was a letter written by a guy named Paul. In 62 AD, while he was in prison, when this letter is believed to be meant to be circulated amongst several churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey today. Well, how do we know that? Well, evident by the kind of general and summative statements that are in this letter. Because Paul spent quite a few years in Ephesus. So he would have known them quite well. But what we find as we read through, there's more generalized statements as we go through. And if you're a pretty astute reader, maybe you've noticed in a footnote that in verse 1 in Ephesus has been omitted in some early manuscripts. Well, how do we make account of that? You're telling me that it was meant to be circulated, but why does Ephesians in verse 1 have the city of Ephesus? Well, how do we account for that? Well, archaeology, they tell us that Ephesus was the largest and most important city in Asia Minor that would have received this letter. So later manuscripts began to identify this letter as the letter to Ephesus, or the letter to the Ephesians. So we are left to read this more as a general letter to the churches in Asia Minor. It might not suggest that we take a little bit step further, and it's to us sitting here, As the church in Tempe. You see, this letter truly is about us in many ways. And we'll see this real, real clear next week. There's no reason for us to not hear these words as words to us. Particularly here in chapter 2 where Paul kind of summarizes exactly what we have been talking about the last few weeks. He has taken this big story of Scriptures and these few verses has laid it out so clearly how it impacts our lives and what it looks like. And if you'll notice, as we read through this together, notice the images that we placed in there to kind of see hints. To try to see the larger story played out in what Paul is doing here. So I'm going to read a chunk and stop for a second and, and give a few comments, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you... We're dead. Yay. <laughs> and you were dead in what? In trespasses, sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Stop. You, me, were and are dead in our sins. You see, our rebellion against God that we talked about week two is played out in this text, right? See, our rebellion against God has caused catastrophic results. It causes us to follow empty promises, to be disobedient towards God's command, and be driven by our own selfish desires. This, my friend, is life outside of God. But there's more. The very next statement, but God. And God. See, when God enters the scene, things change. Notice that in the fall, if the story, the big picture, stops there, we are doomed. We are doomed. But God, God enters. And what is He? He's rich in mercy. Because of His great love, which He has loved us. Stop. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. Dead. But God. You see, we don't have the capacity to move beyond The death that the fall brought. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us. God has loved us. And whether you know it or whether you acknowledge it or not, He has, in love, pursued you. And He keeps His promises of redemption. You see, last week we heard this echo. This echo of hope. And Paul is walking it through. Here's the state of you. Here's the state of the church address. Here's the state of those outside of Christ. You were dead, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, enters the scene. What does he do? Well, this next chunk is brilliant. And this next chunk of scholars have unpacked in so many beautiful ways. And we'll spend the bulk of our time there, but let's read the rest of it here. Even when you were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. What a contrast. Together with Christ. Newsflash, Christ is key. Let's move on. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him who's him, Christ, he's he, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's, this is great, okay? If you don't memorize anything in the Bible, this would be a good one. Okay? 4. By grace. We've already heard that phrase again. We hear it again, for by grace you have been saved. There's an addition through faith, right? More clarity. And this not your own doing it as a gift of God, not as results of works, so that no one may both stop. Whew. That's a lot of stuff. You see, at this point Paul is reminded them of their state. Of who they were because of the fall, the result of sin. This is who you were. But God enters. And now you've experienced redemption. You see, they've been saved from themselves. A life of helplessness as described in the first three verses. Life wasn't looking good for them. But God. And in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. There he is again. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. But I'm sorry for your misunderstanding. Because it's Him, right? For good works which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. Now we are free to live as we were meant to live. You see that when God enters a picture and He works in us in such a way, then we are free to live as we were created to live. You see, God created us in His image and everything that we see. And it was originally very good. And redemption brings us back to that. Well, the question still remains, well, how is one redeemed, right? How do, how do you... Okay, that sounds great and wonderful, but this text is kind of confusing, right? What does verses 4 through 9 actually mean? Well, scholars, like i said, have labeled this one of the most clearest summaries of what it means that sometimes we call salvation, we call Redemption. And so what does 4-9 through nine actually mean? Well, I wanted to put it up there so we just didn't miss it. This chunk of text. Chew on it. Eat it. Put it up somewhere. Look at it. Because this is a part of the story that we will unpack a little bit further called redemption. What's the first thing we need to know? What's the first thing that we see out of, this, out of these verses? Well, it is entirely what is redemption? It is entirely a merciful and gracious act of God. No other way around. It is entirely a merciful and gracious act of God through the work of Christ done in love. I mean, just look how it's described in here. One phrase is, even when you were dead in our trespasses, in our sin, we were dead. What does dead mean? You're unable. Even. Even. When we were dead in our trespasses, unable to move forward, unable to do anything, He made us alive together with Christ. You see the description of this event of redemption? Well, how is it? Well, first, it's a work of God through Christ. See, at one point we are dead, but all of a sudden, together with Christ, we are alive. What a contrast. By yourself dead, with Jesus alive. Following empty promises, you think you can do it dead. Leaning on Christ, alive. You see, Christ is key. His death, burial, and resurrection are key. To the way in which God has pursued us, to redeem us, to save us, to make us alive. And it would have made sense, right? Because if that barrel, no resurrection, well, as Paul would say, we are, we are to be pitied among everybody else. See, we are made alive because He is alive. Christ is key. On our own merits. On our own effort. Dead. In Christ. Alive. Dead. Alive. Dead. (laughs) Alive. With who? You see, he's key, my friend. What the world may tell you or the promise that may be uh, thrown at you, if it doesn't include Christ, it is death. It is sure, absolute death. See, he's key. What else does the text say? By grace. We see that phrase twice. And in verse 8, it's unpacked a little bit further. But by grace, not our own effort. Simply by the, by, the definition of grace is that it's not by you. You're giving something that you do not deserve. It is entirely a merciful and gracious act of God through the work of Christ. Done in love. It is not of your own doing. That's pretty simple. And, and I love the way that Paul thinks because he's already said that quite a few times, but he's like, in case you missed it, let me just lay it really clearly. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of words. And praise the Lord for that. You see, everything in this text is pointing to an act outside of ourselves. You have to turn the focus off you if you want to be alive. And say, where is this big story leading? Well, it's leading you outside of yourself. It's reminding you that in and of yourself, you can do it. And guess what? That is okay. God only helps those that help Himself? <laughs> that is ridiculous and not helpful at all. Everything in this text is pointing to. And act outside of yourself, even grammatically. And I won't go into the details, but everything about this is saying that He has done this work. That He has redeemed us. This big story from the beginning of time that has been unfolded, is found, is culmination in Christ, in the work of God through Christ. Done in love. Well, still the question kind of remains, right? Well, then, how does Christ act Applied to me, right? That's kind of confusing. How is this act, this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, how is that? Applied to me. Well, the beauty of this text and kind of what it all hinges on is verse 8. You can find it down there at the bottom if you don't have a Bible. For by grace, there's a second time we've heard by grace. We get it, by grace, not of me. So what happens now? Well, more clarity, you have been saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of words so that no man should boast. But now we have the same phrase. By grace you've been saved through faith. Well, what is faith? Well, scholars define it this way. To trust in Jesus Christ as a living person. For forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Well, That's still thoroughly confusing. What is faith composed of? Well, the simplest way way that I can put it is this. Understand the facts of the story. See, Chuck laid it out so well that faith is not just like, well, here we go. Let's see what happens. There's an understanding that this step of faith is built on something that's accurate and true and perfect. Faith should not be seen as just like, I hope this works out. But faith is grounded in something. It's grounded in a person called Jesus who legitimately existed. And who they thought could die, but is now alive. So understanding the facts of the story, right, that's been unfolded. And here's the beauty of it. Doesn't it give more validity to the story to see it in every page of the Bible? To see it unfolded over time, to find its culmination here. Well, maybe just not an understanding, but approval, an agreement with those facts, right? Hebrews says the faith is assurance of things hoped for. So maybe there's a sense of that, yes, I hear that, I understand it, but for some reason it clicks. And maybe this morning it's clicking. Maybe something about it is a little bit different this morning, that you're understanding it in a way to say, yes, I want that to be mine. I need that work of Christ to experience this part of the story. Because we all are experiencing the rest of it. Right? Yeah. But at this point, there is faith of understanding that, yes, this story is true. Indeed, it's true. I approve of them. And this needs to be applied to my life. And lastly, a personal decision to put your trust in Him. Not trust in me and my efforts, but trust in Christ and His efforts, His work. Because in Christ, through Christ, it's so repeated throughout this text that He is key. You see, faith is the one attitude of heart that is exactly opposite of depending on ourselves, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that faith would be a part of this? That faith is one attitude of heart that's exactly opposite of... Of depending on ourselves, Because depending on ourselves is death. But faith moves over here and says, no, I'm going to trust in this work. I'm not confident that I can do enough stuff. I'm not confident that my work can earn me anything. But I'm confident in the work of Christ. See, faith is not just a step off a cliff and hope it works out. Faith is a step on to sure, firm foundation of the work of Christ. Understanding that, yes, it's true approval, placing our trust. What else is involved? Why these first three verses of just... Right? Why these first few verses of like... Because I think there is what scholars and pastors often call it. There's, a, there's an element of repentance. What do I mean by that? Well, a heartfelt sorrow for sin. See, Paul reminds them, you were dead in your trespasses, in which you once walked. You walked in them. That was a part of who you are, following what? The course of the world. Empty promises. Disobedient. You lived in the passions of your flesh. There's a point to where we have to acknowledge, yep, this isn't working. I'm still miserable. A heartfelt sorrow for sin. A renouncing of it, a sincere sincere resolve to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. See, that's what Paul is doing. He's reminding them, you tried. You tried. But your words were effortless and they did not resolve the issue. Well, maybe we could apply the same thing we did with faith. Understand, sin is wrong. Approve that the teachings of Scripture regarding sin are true. It may be a personal decision to turn from that and seek forgiveness. I think that's what Paul is doing. He has unloaded the meta-narrative Scripture, the big, big picture, To say, here's what it looks like. An acknowledgement that your own way is not worth it. Your own way will not do. So, why would you live in that anymore? Why would you live in this place any longer? When life is sitting over here. And it's somehow through faith and repentance that we walk over to here and say, yes. Well, what should we do, right? What do we do now? Well, I think that what Paul is telling us is to acknowledge a few things. I think we need to acknowledge that we are created in His image, God's image, and will not find rest outside of Him. We are created in His image and will not find rest outside of Him. Secondly, we must acknowledge that we are sinners rebelling against God who need to repent. Thirdly, acknowledge that He has and is pursuing us. That's such good news. That's a game changer, right? There is no amount of... Of college basketball. That can come close to that. There's been some upsets. And that's been great. But that's a game changer. That upsets everything. So we must acknowledge. That he has and is pursuing us. And lastly we must turn. From our sin. And place our trust. In Jesus as the fulfillment. Of God's promise. Of redemption. Understanding. This is the only way in which this part of the story, this redemption, this glorious story becomes our story. I don't know any other way to put it. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence to be simple. I just want it to be clear. Acknowledge that we are created in this image. And we will not find rest outside of him. That we are sinners rebelling against God who need to repent. He has and he is pursuing you. We must turn from our sin and place our trust in Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. I feel the weight of that just simply like looking over the room, I feel the weight of that. And I, would, I think it's foolish to walk away from this moment and not say, what are we going to do? So in an effort to let this simmer a little bit, to let this do its work in us, because I just want to shut up. That's really what I want to do. And give you an opportunity to process what we've been talking about. Because this is the only way that this part of the story becomes your story. Faith and repentance. This is it. So within this room, there will be quite a few people who will stand up, whether gospel community, staff, leadership team. In just a few moments, I would ask you to find your, uh, just a, a place somewhere. Just stand for a moment. And for the rest of us to acknowledge that they're there to talk you through this. Because if something is being stirred, if something is working inside of you, please don't leave this moment until you figure that out. And the people around the room have walked through this themselves, right? And we pursued our own means, our own effort, found ourselves more hurt and relied upon Jesus as a fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. So those... Leadership, staff, gospel community leaders, if you would stand up, find a place in the room. And the rest of you, just reflect, sit, think, pray. If you want someone to dialogue, to talk a little bit about, find them. Ask some questions. And for those of us that, yes, this indeed is your story, well, you better rejoice for a few moments, right? And say, thank you for redemption. Thank you for this part of the story. Thank you that you didn't leave me to myself. That you indeed pursued me and redeemed me. So after a few moments, as we sit and we reflect, Chuck's going to come and close us out. But I ask that you would do that. That you would not leave this moment without acknowledging the things that we've said.
0: Father, one of the most wonderful words we'll ever hear is the word grace. Grace is your uh, benevolence, your goodness, your kindness towards us that we don't deserve. Some of us are aware that we don't deserve it, and yet we still seek to, to earn it. Others of us think we actually do deserve it. Others of us seek to cover up our awareness that we don't have it through all kinds of means. And yet the constant is your grace. We praise you that we've heard clearly today your gospel of grace. And we pray... Father, that it would have its full effect in each of our lives. That those of us in the room who are Christians would rejoice again in the joy of our salvation. Remember afresh and anew your grace that's been extended to us. And walk faithfully in it now. Walk with you as our life. And maybe for those in the room who are not yet sure what they think about all of this. Father, we pray that grace would be operative in their hearts, that they would come to respond to the message that's been shared. And Father, in just a moment, we'll leave these doors and walk out into a world that is desperately in need of your grace. Everything around us teaches us that we are what we make of ourselves what we have, who we're with, what we earn. And yet, We are among a sea of people who are in tremendous need of your grace. And what is church? It's not the building that we're in. It's the people who you have redeemed by grace and now have brought together. And then we're to be a people of grace who share that message and live faithfully in light of it. We pray for the strength, Lord. We pray that we'd rely on those abilities you've already given us. To be people of grace. And we show that in the way we open the door for people this week. How we treat those who are mean to us. How we respond to others as we drive. What we do and don't do with our bodies. How we interact with people at work and at school. We pray that we would be people of grace because you are a God of grace. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, we would just encourage you to visit with somebody sitting near you about what you've heard or go to one of these leaders. They would love to pray with you. We'd invite you again to gather with us next on Good Friday. There'll be a meal here at 6 o'clock, followed by a time of reflective worship. And then, of course, next Sunday on Easter. Second Corinthians 13 ends this way, and we'll end our gathering with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We all said, Amen. You're dismissed.